All right, who's ready for the word today? We are in a message series, have been for the last number of weeks. If you're just joining us today, maybe you're new, newer, it's so great to see you. Uh, I mean that from the bottom of my heart that we are excited that you're here. And we have been talking about a series that we are calling Timeless Truth. This week is part six of that series. Timeless truth is really about saying to us, to the body of Christ, that culture changes. It changes, frankly, in the wind. It always has, it always will. Civilizations have risen and fallen. Philosophies have emerged and crumbled, but the word of God, it has, it is, it will stand forever. This is the wisdom, this is the rock, this is the foundation upon which we can build our lives. In an ever-changing environment, we lean on the thing that never changes. Are you with me? Timeless truth. We have been going through books of the prophets, especially uh, what theologians refer to as the minor prophets. There are 12 of those books. We're encouraging everyone to really read all of those through this series but we are examining so many of the things that the, that the prophets had to say to God's people and the consistency of the message that's there. And if I really had to summarize it all up, the messages that these different prophets over a period of almost 400 years spoke to God's people and surrounding nations, if I had to kind of summarize the consistency in the messages, I would say it like this, that when we obey God's ways, there are blessings, and when we, when we disobey God's ways, there are consequences. It's a principle and it's a rule. God invites us into blessing, into favor, into provision, into, in fact, a supernatural lifestyle and way of living. He is a providential God, which means he doesn't just put the money in your wallet or in your bank account. It means that he puts the wisdom in your heart that you need to make the decisions in your life. It means that he puts the peace in your soul so that you can navigate places of complexity in a chaotic world. It means anything that you need for body, mind, and spirit, God is there abundantly to release and provide whatever it might be that you would need for the things he has for you to do for him. But we have to walk in a place of obedience, recognizing that God has a plan for us if we want to continue to walk under that grace and that favor and fullness of the blessing that he has. This is a message for every generation. They all, we all must hear this message alike and we must own it and stand upon it in faith for ourselves, the covenants of God that he has for us. It's a message for every generation, and it is a message, listen, both to the perishing, that they may repent and know salvation, but as we see throughout so much of the writings of the prophets, it is a message to the believer as well, because believers can go wayward. In fact, if we're really all honest, we would say that we have all been wayward at some point or another. Would you agree with me? In our heart or in our deeds. And so really this is a warning, but it's not a message of some cruel God. It's a message of a loving and merciful God who's saying, 
come back to me while there's still time. Avoid the consequences and the increasing destruction that lies out in front of you if you continue down the wayward path and come back to the path of righteousness that I have planned for you. When I hear these messages and when I see these writings, church, I, don't, I know some see things differently, but I don't see a cruel, mean God standing up just waiting to punish people. I see a loving, merciful, long-suffering God who's so patient with me and my mess and my brokenness and all the things that I've done wrong and will do wrong. And I think that's a God worth serving for the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. So I've really enjoyed this series, and we have some more weeks yet to go. But today we are going to dig in, and we're going to go to the book of Jonah. So turn there in your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Jonah. Let's read together the first few verses, shall we? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Let's stop there. Most people likely have heard the account of Jonah. When we think of Jonah, we often associate him with the prophet who spent three days where? In the belly of the great fish, right? It's probably one of the best kids' church stories to share and teach on. Uh, There's so much that we can draw out. I want to bring your attention to something perhaps you've not thought deeply on or not seen before, and, and maybe you have. But there are some things that are very unique about Jonah and the book of Jonah, especially in comparison to the books that we've already visited thus far in our series, you know, we see most of these books to this point, they shed a lot of light on the people, the audience that the prophet is being sent to go to. The message for the wayward people, whether it be Judah or Israel in the north, God's people, God's leaders, right? We see a lot of of the uh, content surrounding what was going on with the audience that the prophet was being sent to. Jonah is pretty unique in the fact that most of this book actually deals with and addresses what's going on inside of Jonah. Now we talk about and we see what's some things about Nineveh and the people. We're going to discuss that today. But I just have to point that out to you, that if we were weighing a scale and just kind of balancing this out, I would say this is drastically proportioned more for God to give us insight into what's really happening in Jonah, in his heart, in his life, and really in his background. God has a plan to do something 
in the city of Nineveh. He has a heart for a wayward people. But God also has a very specific intention that he is up to as he is calling Jonah into this mission field, something that God wants to do inside of Jonah himself. And to really understand what that is, first we've got to recognize uh, what, is the, what is the cruelty or the, the sin that the people of Nineveh, which were Assyrians, by the way, uh, what is it that they're really guilty of? What is it they're being accused of? And what their main sin is, is the cruelty that they have towards God's people. In fact, when you examine Scripture, there are only a few empires, perhaps none is even as much, that were as cruel, horrific, terrifying, uh, in, the, in the things they did to their enemies as what the Assyrians were and the people of Nineveh were. Raping, pillaging, burning villages, destruction, enslaving young boys and girls after slaughtering families and parents. I mean, this was common practice for how they did things. They wanted to put fear in the hearts of all of their enemies And they had been doing this to God's people for a number of years, especially in the north. Well, Jonah is not a stranger to this. He obviously is very aware of this. And we'll see as we go a little further in the story today that we can verify. But really, at the crux of this, at Jonah's issue of why he runs, of why he is so bent on avoiding this mission that God has for him... It really isn't because he's so afraid of these people if he goes to them. Really what we see is it's because Jonah has so much bitterness bound up in his heart. So much anger and resentment for everything that has happened at the hand of these people towards him and his people. Folks, let me just say it this way. There is a very, very deep wound inside of Jonah that God is intent on healing. It's a wound that's there from something in his past that is holding him back from something in his future. And I just wonder today, I have to wonder, do many of us possibly relate pretty well to Jonah? Do you have pain? In fact, I know the answer to that because we've all had pain at some point along the way. And if if we haven't known it deeply yet, you certainly will at some point. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. (laughs) He makes an amazing statement after that. You know, in the world... You will have tribulation. You will have suffering. You will be hurt. You will be wounded. You will be, you know, misunderstood, slandered, accused. You're going to have all of that. Yay. Name it and claim it. All right, you know. (laughs) Sign me up. Write it on my doors, my windows and my door and profess that over myself. We don't do that. But it's part of what's coming. But what he says after that, it just grips my heart. He says, but be of good cheer. 
could say that a different way. You could say, but cheer up about your tribulation. He says, because I have overcome the world. Hmm. So church, I'm here today to tell you, listen, I'm here to say oh, that you are going to have pain in your life. In fact, if you walk with Jesus and for Jesus on a, a, a worthy mission and exploit for God, you're probably going to expose yourself and make yourself vulnerable to some very deep, great levels of pain. The question is not if it's going to happen. The question is, what will you do with it? I believe with all my heart, as a leader in the body of Christ, and we are all called to different places of influence, that our capacity to be able to handle and process and heal from pain is in direct proportion to the level of influence that God is going to bring us. Hmm. Aren't you glad you came to church today? All right. So, uh, point one, if you're taking notes, the three things that we can do with pain. That's what we're going to talk about today. Point number one is we can flee. We can flee. We can run from it. In fact, that's probably what most people do. It shows its face different ways. Sometimes it's not a flat-out sprint in an opposite direction like what Jonah's doing. Sometimes it's just complete avoidance, denial, pretending it's not there. You know what I'm talking about, right? You stuff it down so deep that you seem to even convince yourself that you're past it and everything is okay. Meanwhile, it's just like this cancer. It's like this wound that's just festering inside, running We'll do nothing to heal it. <laughs> I love the way God accentuates things for us. You know, Jodah is in Israel, and God says, I want you to go to Nineveh, which is in like the east, little northeast where it is. It's about an 800-mile journey. And Jonah goes the complete opposite direction. In fact, I got a map. You can throw that up here if, you just, if you've never looked at this before. You see Joppa where he got on the boat, and you see Nineveh where he's supposed to go. <laughs> it's pretty telling, isn't it? Uh, we laugh, but you know what? That's the reaction the flesh is prone to right there when the flesh rules. It's to run the opposite way of where God is leading us to go. It's to run the opposite of, let me say it differently, it's to run the opposite from breaking open our pain, opening up the band-aid, and actually getting into the wound so that we can heal the wound. The flesh wants to go to Tarshish. The flesh wants to flee. I wonder, folks, today, like, what is your Tarshish? What is my Tarshish. Where, where do we run to? What, what is our mechanism? Um, is it drugs? Is it alcohol? 
Is it toxic relationships that unhealthy validation comes from for you? Could be so many things. But if we really think about it and we ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten us and illuminate, He might show us some things that we're running to that we don't even realize we're actually fleeing from dealing with something deep that's inside. God is so good, he's so wise, he's so smart, that he's always up to so much more than we see. He's all about Nineveh and this people, but he's all about Jonah and what's going on in Jonah. I love it. He puts Jonah on a collision course, guys, to deal with his pain. He says, I got a mission for you. I got an assignment for you. And initially, so many of God's people would say, yes, sign me up. I'm ready to jump in for God. Okay, now let me show you what that mission looks like. Hold on just a second. I think I'm going to go to Tarshish. He puts Jonah on a collision course to break open this deep wound that's festering down in him. God loves you so much that he is not okay with allowing you or letting you just continue to sit and go by with a wound that's hemorrhaging on the inside of you. We think maybe when we see this like, oh God, why do you got to do that to me? And on the surface, it might look, it might look a little like that, but it'd be... If you look deeper, what I see is God loves me so much that he just doesn't want to leave me there. He doesn't want to keep me in this place where this wound is still continuing to get the better of me. We know that when Jonah gets on the boat and he travels down the Mediterranean with the pagan passengers there, that there's a great storm. It says, in fact, God prepared the storm. (laughs) to stop Jonah from running any further. And then it gets to the point where the storm is taking over the ship and they're going to die. And Jonah makes this crazy statement. He, He reveals his heart. He basically shows us that he's at a point where he himself wants to die. He's ready to die. He's not the only prophet that was suicidal in the Bible, actually. Elijah had some moments like that. But he says, I want to die. I'm ready to just just end my life. Throw me over. Be done with this misery. Wow. Guys, wounds, pains from our past, wounds from hurtful people who have hurt us very badly can fester so much that they become so gripping and so crippling that they could even cause people to not want to live anymore. I just want you to understand the magnitude of what inner wounds can bring in a person's life. Jonah is, in his mind, thinking that it's better for him to just be tossed overboard. 
just to end it all. Meanwhile, God sees a better future. He sees a better picture. He sees if that pain could be healed, if that wound could be, that band-aid tore off and that wound really cared for and addressed properly and brought out and healed in a healthy way that Jonah could go on to an even greater future that God has for him. Can I suggest to you that God sees us the same way? When we carry wounds and pains from our past, from things that have hurt us, from things that have been very terrible, in fact. I've heard some of the most atrocious stories of things that people have been through at the hands of others. Again, I remind you that there were few known in all of history who were more cruel than the people of Nineveh. And yet God says, I want to heal that wound. I, I just want you to know that the pain, whatever you've got, it's not so deep, it's not so bad that God, through his healing nature, cannot heal that place on the inside of you in such a way that you could be prepared for greater things that are ahead. It's, it's holding Jonah back. When we flee from God, from his attempts to press those buttons, to deal with that. You understand, pain is meant to be a sign that something is wrong. It's meant to be a sign that something is wrong. To show us something's not okay. And when we run from God, and we run from pain, and, or from healing, and choose to keep our pain. Think about that. The extremes of those choices. We choose to keep our pain and keep fleeing from the presence of God as opposed to the pain of letting God initially deal with it and then heal it. Folks, unfortunately, and I've seen many do it, people choose bondage over freedom. Because that wound and that pain can become like a prison and like a fortress that grips people's soul their entire lives until it actually is healed from. So God has a big, big plan. I want you to see that in this story, that he wants to bring Jonah to a place of healing while he is simultaneously sending one of his prophets to a people who are dark, who are vile, who are corrupt, who are wicked. And think about this, Jesus, the Bible, John the Baptist said, God so loved the world, right? Or he said the, the, son, the Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world. That means everybody. That means Jesus suffered and died for everybody. God's mercy is on full display in the fact that he wants to go to a people like Nineveh and offer the opportunity for them to repent and be forgiven. Nobody is too far gone. The arm of the Lord is never too short to save. And God is demonstrating right here that he is wanting to reach out his righteous right arm and extend his right hand of power and extend that olive branch to say to these people, you are wayward, you are wicked, but if you will come to me, then I will forgive you and I will spare you of the destruction that's pending over your lives. Wow. But Jonah can't handle it. He can't seem to deal with that. That God is willing to forgive these people who are so wicked. He says that later on when he gets there and they repent. He says, God, see, I knew it. 
I knew it. I knew you were a gracious God. I knew you were a loving God. I knew you were a forgiving God. See, now you've just proven my point. This is why I ran to Tarshish. It's, all, it's exposed. It's right there. We're not left to doubt his reasons for running. We see it. He can't handle that people who've been so mean and so hurtful and so hateful to him that God actually wants to extend the same hand of love, forgiveness, and mercy to them that he's already extended to Jonah. Oh, church, I just wonder if there's a message in that for us today. Oh, man, we love the grace. We love the mercy. But are we bound up so much from wounds or if harmful, hateful, cruel people said or done so much to us that there might just not be a place in us where there's enough room for us to pray for them, to, to, to rejoice when God wants to forgive them and extend the same mercy to them that he's extended to us. I would say if that place really is there in our heart, then God is right to do whatever he needs to do. Send any kind of storm or whatever may come in our lives to reorient our course away from anger and bitterness and onto a place of finding love and mercy and forgiveness. Oh, the Bible says in the New Testament that bitterness is the root of all kinds of other sin. Think about that for a second. God's wanting to dig up some roots. He's not just wanting to prune branches. He's wanting to get to the root of that toxic plant, of that toxic thing, and not just sort of mask it. He's wanting to rip it up and get it out of our lives for good so that he can continue to grow something vibrant in and through us. Amen? Amen. Once Jonah gets thrown overboard and he starts sinking in the sea, we know that this great fish, and I I know there's plenty of debate on this, that people say, well, it's a whale, and then some people say, well, he doesn't say it's a whale, it's a great fish, and King James Version says it was a whale, and other versions say it was a great fish, and then when you read it in the Hebrew, it could be a whale or a great fish, and I just say it was a big old fish, all right? It was big. There was a writer in the early 1900s who said that he wrote a lot of novels and he said uh, that he saw a number of whales be cut open and on numerous accounts that he saw fish inside the belly of whales whole that were up to 10 times the size of even a normal man. So just say that this is not a metaphorical thing that Jonah was in the belly of a whale or a fish. It was a literal thing. In fact, Jesus confirms that. He says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth, in the underworld. And, and then he says that a greater than Jonah is among you. And so Jonah was kind of a forerunner, a prefigure in some ways to Christ in the fact that those three days he spent in the underworld, and then after that he emerged, that God brought him out. He speaks to the resurrection of Christ, which obviously we're here at the time of Easter. Listen to what Jonah says, though, when he sinks down into the great fish. Go to chapter 2. Let's read uh, verse 1. He says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. 
See the figurative poetic language here? He's in the belly of the fish. He calls it Sheol, hell, the underworld. And you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. And then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul, the deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. And listen to this. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Speaking figuratively of the gates of hell. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you and to your holy temple. We see just a little bit later. It says God made the great fish vomit Jonah out of his mouth. Sometimes God's work is messy. But I I just want to point out to you here that the reality of this is Jonah wanted to die. It was a real emotion that he was feeling, but too many times we're led by emotions instead of the Spirit of God. And it it produces a very fickle nature in people when when they are. Because emotions are kind of all over the board. Would you agree? I mean, I can be emotional. I I don't want my emotions to lead me and drive my actions. I'd be a roller coaster, you know. My actions would be inconsistent with what I know God wants for me. Let the spirit rule the flesh, rule the emotions. But he sees this. He comes face to face with death. He's there. He's about ready to get his wish. And do you notice what he realizes when that moment comes? I think we see a clear picture that he realizes, "Uh uh-oh, I think maybe I was wrong. The darkness of death is greater than I ever comprehended. I said I wanted to die because of the pain that was in me, but now that I'm really ready to die, oh God, would you please forgive me? Oh God, I turn my eye to you and I pray and I know that you hear me. Do you see that, church? I just, I have to wonder sometimes people who have rejected God their entire life, but seeds have been watered and seeds have been planted over the years from faithful messengers of God, just laboring and being obedient and doing what God said to do and experiencing what seemed like rejection in the face of their encouragement or invitation time upon time again. But here Jonah is right before his final moments and he now reorients his mind and his heart back to God here for a period instead of really wanting to die. And I just have to wonder how many people on their deathbed, church, in their final moments and in their final breath, actually coming face to face with death and the darkness of, of dying without God and knowing there'll be an eternity with Him at those moments that many of us never see or peer into, that they actually begin to reorient their hearts back to Him or towards Him because of seeds of good seed that were sown faithfully by messages Messengers many times before that. Amen. Amen. Do not underestimate the impact that could be there. And so God sends him back. He puts Jonah back on dry land. And when he gets there, jump over to chapter 3. This is point number 2. The second thing 
that we see instead of fleeing from pain is we can just try to cope. Have you ever heard the term manage your pain? I'm not criticizing, you know, medical solutions. I'm not doing that at all. I, I get that, that sometimes there's a reason for that kind of statement. But when it comes to emotional wounds, spiritual death, I just got to tell you, coping is not a solution. Say it this way. Jesus is not a coping mechanism. Jesus is the cure. He's the cure. So God sets Jonah's feet back on dry land. He's no doubt relieved now that he's not plummeting into the depths of darkness and it's very interesting here what we end up seeing in this story. It's a bit of a curveball, really, because this story sort of leaves us with an uncertainty of, of whether Jonah's wound ever really did get healed. Because he gets back on dry land and God sends him to Nineveh, but what we see later suggests that some of his changes might have just been momentary. They might have just been temporary. And I see that a lot even in people today where they're come to Jesus moments, you know, and I don't ever question them, but you, you can judge things by fruit. And when you look two, three months down the road, this life that was once committed and on fire for change and for God and is all of a sudden right back into the places and the ways that they were before into destruction you know, I often do have to wonder if there were maybe deeper wounds and pains and things that God wanted to heal and lead them through a process of healing uh, that they never really allowed him to get into. And so there was, they were fickle, like Jonah. Then all of a sudden they go a little bit further, and now that pain that's unhealed begins to manifest itself back out again. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, for a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And so the people of Nineveh believed God proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Jump down to verse 10. And then God saw their works, that they had turned from their evil ways, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not. Wow. What's amazing about Nineveh is of all of the wicked people that God sends a messenger to, they repent immediately. You see that? We sometimes wear too much of the pressure, don't we? Like we're supposed to be the ones to transform people. <laughs> like we're supposed to be the ones to convict their heart. When you see this, 
you see the power of the Holy Spirit to convict a wayward person about truth and the error of their ways. And I hope it does for you what it does for me. And I need this reminder often, I assure you. But just to remind me, Matt, you don't do what only the Holy Spirit can do. These people heard truth and they repented immediately. For the ones who heard and never turned, we could say that the power of the Holy Spirit is always there if a heart is yielded and surrendered to God. And and let us even learn something, perhaps, from the people of Nineveh. That, church, we would be quick and ready to respond and appropriate our faith through obedience to whatever God's word or commands suggest to us at any time, no matter where we think our actions may be validated or justified in. Be quick to turn and repent. And Nineveh does. And God forgives them. Forgives them. Sometimes we talked a lot about how God will remove our enemies from us and deal with our enemies Think about this for a second. Sometimes God removes enemies who are continuing to reject and will continue to reject him. He he will remove his enemies through purging. But sometimes he'll remove enemies in our lives by transforming them into brethren. (laughs) Isn't that something to think about? I want to deal with your enemies. I want to... Get your enemies out of your life. Praise God. Yeah, and what I want to do is I want you to show them my love so well that they meet me and then they become part of your family in the kingdom. Could you be okay with that? Wow. Wow. (laughs) Jonah. Oh, Jonah. Just go to chapter 4, verse 1. It says, It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. We kind of laugh, but I would be willing to gather that there are some here with wounds so deep and so painful. Perhaps we might have a little bit of Jonah syndrome about the people who have harmed us. He prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Here it is that I was telling you about. Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Here he is again. (laughs) He's back. The wound was never healed. That's what I want you to see. He's still resisting. And then the Lord said, I love this question, Jonah, Matt, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? You know, church, we've got to get a view of people. There's some the Bible tells us are easy to love. There are others that the Bible says are very hard to love. Jesus does not, he doesn't pretend that that's not the case. There's some that are hard to love. There are some that are easy to love. It's those that are hard to love that God's interested in doing a work in our hearts on. 
we got to learn to see everybody as they're all people Jesus died for. If he considered it worth it to die for them, just like he did for you and for me, we got to see him the same way he does. Jesus makes a claim about something that will accompany the end times when the decay of the world is falling apart. He says that lawlessness will abound. Listen to this. Think about this. And think about today. He says lawlessness will abound so much that the love of many will grow cold. A cooling off of love from his people. Why? Because they can't figure out how to process the pain and the turmoil of the wickedness around them. And instead of continuing to endure in love, the fire of love goes out. Hmm. (laughs) I pray my love would never grow cold. I pray God would always help me to see people as he sees them. So Jonah goes outside. I'll let you read the rest of chapter 4. Jonah goes outside the city. (laughs) And he goes up on the hill next to the city. And uh, he camps out. He wants to get a front row view of what he's hoping to be that they're going to mess up again. Let's go deep, guys, can we? We might as well. We've went this far today. Oh, I'm going to pray for him, God. I'm going to pray for him. I know i got to pray for him. But there's still something in Jonah that's hoping that they screw up. God's already blessed someone. We've forgiven them. Seems like they're experiencing now the blessing of God. Praise God. I'm happy for them. Yay. Come on. I got to believe you know what I'm talking about. I know I've done it. Yeah. Something inside. But this is what I'm trying. This, this is really the heart of my message today, church. Is that we would understand what we're to do with that. And who can actually do something about that. Jesus wants to get in there and heal that wound. Pain has a way of showing me something is wrong. When I can't rejoice and celebrate and be happy for someone else's blessing and good fortune, then perhaps I'm the one who really still needs some work done on the inside. Jonah can't even celebrate for this converted city. Can you imagine? I mean, for Nineveh to be spared for the entire city, including its king, to say, hey, absolutely, we hear it. No more cruelty. No more violence by our hands. No more wickedness. We're going to release prisoners. We're going to be kind to people. We're going we're to be influences in our, in our land now instead of, instead of dictators. We are gonna, we're going to change. For people like Nineveh to do that, 
Do you understand the implications, the ramifications, the groundswell, the ripple effect throughout the land and throughout societies when a wayward people like that genuinely turn to and begin to serve God and then get blessed by him? You talk about a witness. You talk about a testimony. And you know what I see in this? Jonah, he may never be able to get past his issues, but that is totally irrelevant to God's ability to still forgive and heal and bless Jonah's enemies. It's actually one of the great ironies in Scripture here that, it, that Nineveh actually moves more towards holiness and Jonah actually moves more towards rebellion and bondage from never getting healed from his wounds and pain. Wow. Wow. So he's sitting out there, he's camped out, and he's watching the city and he's waiting. And then a plant pops up. It says God prepared a plant. Gourd, we think, and because they have huge leaves and it was really hot. And so while Jonah's watching this front row view for destruction that he's hoping for, this plant provides him some momentary shade. And he's, he's kind of pleased by that. It brings him some relief, a little bit of pleasure in the midst of his anguish. But this was by God's design. So then God prepares a worm. So up to this point in the story, God has prepared a storm, God has prepared a plant, and now God has prepared a worm. And the worm eats up the plant. Overnight, the plant dies. The next day, God prepares an east wind, which is a very hot desert wind, dry. And so it comes in, and Jonah's plant is dead. (laughs) And he's like, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. You ever said that? That's it. I'm done. I can't take it anymore. We were going through something about a year ago, Katie and I. It was just really, really getting hard. And in a moment of emotion, I said to her, Katie, that's it. I can't do it anymore. I'm done. It was about a particular thing. And you talk about, ah, I think so much for the Holy Spirit, you know, being close to him. And he says, you just told the devil that. He can't read your mind, but he can hear your words. And you just told the devil where part of where he needs to attack you is. (sighs) Jonah says, you know, that's it. I want to die again. So God prepared the storm. He prepared the plant he prepared the worm he prepared the east wind and i wanted you to see that god is preparing a lot of things to still try to get jonah back to him to still try to get jonah to break open this wound and let god heal it for him i wonder i wonder what might god be preparing for you that may seem like some confusing form of suffering or anguish. It may seem like a a setback on a journey that you're trying to take, but if we're honest, it's a journey to flee from something that God actually wants you to face. And he's preparing, you fill in the blank, 
whatever it might be, to just reorient you, to get you back, to say, I love you so much that I don't want you to keep going with that wound on the inside of you. Psalmist says this, 147 verse 3, God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Hmm. You know, God is a healer in every form of that word. He's Rapha, which is fullness of healing, power. He can heal physically, miraculously. We've seen miracles. We know people here who have had miraculous healings. He's done it through all, all, all of Scripture. He heals spiritually, which is to say he transforms us from death to life, from perishing to bound for eternity with him. But he also heals the soul, guys. Emotions, mind, and will. The soul. He wants to bind up those wounds. You see, when he binds up, that word actually means to like sew and knit back together. And so I want you to think about this, and, and perhaps this is a little bit of a, of a freeing thing for you in how you've processed or will process inner wounds and emotional pain. That God wants to heal you from that, bind it up, sew it up. It doesn't mean that there won't be a scar. Right? I mean, it happened. It's part of the past. You, you, you probably need to think wisely about how you interact or fellowship with certain people based on the nature of things that have happened in your life. But the point is, is that the wound unhealed is a form of bondage and God wants to heal it to bring us to a place of freedom. So it never leaves us in a place of setback again. To accept pain, to cope with it, to deal with it. And say, I'm just going to manage it. I'll be okay stuffing it down in there. It's just part of my life. It happened. I just got to deal with that. Instead of choosing healing, when we accept or flee or cope, we're coming into agreement. Think about it with a form of handling it that's really contrary to the one way that God says he wants to deal with it. And we choose a direction for our pain that's away from where God wants to take us. <laughs> when Moses was leading the people through the wilderness, they came to a place called Merah, and, or Marah. And in Marah, it says that the water was bitter, and they couldn't drink it. And bitter water, when it's drank, actually produces sickness or even death. And so the people were greatly discouraged because the water of bitterness was there. And Moses, through God's instruction, throws a tree into the water. This is Exodus 15, I believe, if you want to read it. And it says the waters became sweet. They were healed, and then they were able to drink from them. I find it interesting that mara means bitterness. Bitter can mean ugh, like disgusting to taste, and it can make me sick, and it's you know contaminated. But that same word 
can mean anger, fierceness, and bitterness of heart. (laughs) You see the picture. When we're drinking from bitter water, then everything downstream from us is going to be toxically affected. God says, I don't want you to drink bitter water. I don't want the root of bitterness to be in your heart. I want to pull it up by the root. I want to heal, from the, heal you from that. I want to make the water you drink from sweet so that everything downstream from you will be affected by that sweet, pure water as well. You see, God has a ministry and a work for every one of us to do. We say often around here, God raises up game changers, which is people walking in their God-given purpose and destiny, creating an impact in the world around them by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that no physical strength can allow them to do. Healthy ministry comes from healthy souls. Healthy ministry comes from healthy people. So God wants to use you. He wants to use me. And praise God, he will call us out in our place of brokenness. He'll call us and give us a mission and even an assignment in the midst of our mess. But the question, church, and I'll end with this today, that I think we need to ask. Maybe, yes, what is the mission that God wants to use me for? But perhaps... An even better question is what is it, God, that you actually, (laughs) that you want to do in me while I'm on this mission for you? Because I say again, he is a God who does exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ever think for or ask for or pray for. And he works in our blind spots. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Who are the people who have hurt you the most? Who are the people or what are the things that have caused you the most pain in your life? You know, we have a healing, a freedom ministry here that we've been taking people through for almost a year now called Kairos. And it's a, it's, a, it's a pathway, it's a journey of dealing with wounds, inner wounds, deliverance from demonic strongholds, and bringing people to a place of true freedom to walk in all that God has for them. Because we understand that people need to be healed on every level. And so I'll ask that question as we close Who are the people who have harmed you the most? What are the situations that have hurt you the most? And how have you allowed God to work through that pain, to bring healing to that place in you? And would you say that you have a place now in your life from that where you are healed and you are walking in freedom? Because those are the three things with pain. We can flee or run, we could cope or manage, or we can be healed. Or we can be healed. And God is in the healing business. In fact, He's perfect at it. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes, and I just want you to ask yourself right now in this moment. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me?
What are you saying to me? Are you on a mission for God? Are you on an assignment right now? Is God perhaps showing you something deeper that he's wanting to do on the inside of you? Are you running? Are you fleeing? Are you on a boat headed to Tarshish? Does God need to prepare a storm? Or would you reorient your heart right now? Because he loves you so much that if there's any pain festering inside, I assure you, as long as you seek him in his ways, he will continue to bring you face to face with the things in your life that he wants to heal. We all have a calling, but, you know, it's not enough to just have a calling. We've got to mature in that calling to see it realized and fulfilled and healing up our wounds is a big part of how God raises us up to everything that he has for us. And so I just ask you today, church, is there anything in your life, in your past, mind, emotions, will, that you know, man, there's pain there. And I just want to invite you right now to to bring that to the altar of God. Bring it to him. Yeah, Holy Spirit is moving right now. I can see it. I can see it, guys. I can see healing right now happening. This even setting on some people. I can see by your countenance even right now. In the beginning work of healing is already happening. <laughs> oh, bring it to Him. You can't heal yourself. You can't save yourself. Come to God. Surrender it to Him. Let's remove this impasse. Let's remove this barricade, shall we?